As a child, I lived a very lonely existence. I initially grew up with my mum. Um, she was a single mother and I was an only child. My father left when I was uh, one. And my mother was a heroin addict and a prostitute. And so I spent my first eight years living with her as she lived out this lifestyle. And as you can imagine, I was exposed to a lot of things that a little girl just shouldn't see. Not only did I see those things, I was exposed to a lot of sexual abuse, neglect and physical and emotional abuse as well. When I was eight years old, I was taken from my mother and I was put with my Aboriginal grandmother. And I spent the next four years with her. And that was better for me in many ways because she was a little bit more stable. I had this big kind of mob of family around me. But during that time, I was also sexually abused and neglected too. Um, at 13, I went back to live with my mum and she had gone on the methadone program. In fact, she was the first person in Victoria to ever successfully complete the methadone program which was quite an achievement at that time in the 80s. We were living in St Kilda. But she still hadn't stopped taking drugs. She smoked marijuana every day. She drank and binged a lot and um, she lived a real party girl lifestyle and I just was a part of that. So by the time I was 13, she decided it was time for me to start taking drugs. And so she gave me my first smoke of marijuana at that age and um, by the time I was 15, 16 years old, I was shooting up... Uh, drugs, just trying to take everything that I could possibly take. I had no uh, concept of, of any other life, really. This was my life. This was what was handed to me. And not only that, I uh, was quite involved in crime by that time, too. I was doing credit card fraud and um, breaking into houses, and I just didn't care. I had no care for anybody other than myself. Um, I had been taught that you don't actually live a present life, you just escape from this life on a daily basis. When I was 16 years old, she passed away from cancer and that happened quite quickly. And from that point onwards, I was on my own. I um, very quickly got into a relationship with a man. Well, not a man, he was only slightly older than me at the time. But I stayed with him for the next four years and for those four years he beat me repeatedly. And, um, and abused me and kind of tormented me and would lock me in the house and I was very isolated and alone. And it was a, a really difficult time because I was in grief. I was kind of shredded. I was so lost. It was like when she died, having even though there were, she was so destructive, having lived such um, a close life with her, we were so intertwined and enmeshed. So this, this person that although had been... A negative influence on my life I loved so much I just loved her beyond belief and so when she died it was like a part of me died with her it was a very tough childhood and um and and early teen years and then going into this abusive relationship but by the time I was about 20 21 I decided I'd had enough and I left this guy and I thought to myself I'm going to go overseas and I managed to get myself a working holiday visa to go to London and I got a, a, a ticket for a plane ride and I had 20 bucks in my pocket and I jumped on the plane and I went by myself at 22 years old 
thinking this would be a good idea. (laughs) Um, But the truth was what I was actually doing was just running. I just wanted to get away as fast as I could from the life that I'd lived, from what I'd known. I I was trying to run from my own pain. Um, But, of course, that doesn't work. And so I arrive in London. Previous to that, I had been dealing drugs for a number of years. I'd been growing marijuana in my shed. I just lived this kind of life that you live when you're really in that world. Um, And so when I arrived in London, within a few months, I started dealing drugs in London, except the thing was that I had access to a lot more over there. And um, I kind of moved on to harder drugs. So... Uh, a lot of party drugs, ecstasy, cocaine, ketamine. And I would take a cocktail of these drugs every single day and I wouldn't sleep for maybe three, four nights in a row. Um, and I, would, I found myself quite quickly within about a year of being in London being very, very sick. I was about 42 kilos. Um, I overdosed three times in a month. I had to be defibrillated and I would regularly go into psychosis. I was 24 by this time. Um, And everybody that was around me that I'd built up around me even there was starting to really pull away because I was just losing the plot and going crazy and obviously um, very dark and very twisted. All of a sudden I realised, I knew, it was like I had a sense that if something didn't change, I was going to die. I just knew it. it was like I felt death come upon me and I, I couldn't shake it and I didn't know what to do. I reached out to a number of different rehabs, to different places and none of them could help me because I wasn't, uh, I was a foreign national. Um, and then one day as I was just lamenting my life and my world, I heard within my spirit over and over and over it was relentless call out to my son, Jesus, call out to my son, call out to my son, call out to my son, call out to my son. And it was just kind of this beautiful voice and I did. I was like, okay, (laughs) Jesus, please help me. I was still dealing. I was still in the clubs. Um, I was dealing within gay clubs as well, gay boy clubs. That's where I'd based my whole life. Um, And within, I think, days of me calling out to Jesus, I was arrested and locked up. And from the moment I was put in the police cells, it was like this wave of peace came over me. I knew that it was over. I could stop running. For the very first time in my life, I could stop, that it would be finished and that I was going to get the help that I needed. And I slept. I think I slept in the police cells solidly for about four days because I hadn't slept for days and I just hadn't slept for years properly. And so... Uh, it turned out that I was then going to be in prison for a number of years. After being on remand for eight months, I was sentenced to four years for selling drugs. After I got uh, got out of the police cells, I got moved to a prison called Holloway. You might have heard of it. It's a, a, the kind of the main maximum security women's prison in the middle of London. And... Um, Within a month of being in Holloway, I gave my life to Jesus properly on my knees um, with some volunteers from Prison Fellowship. Do you know Prison Fellowship? Um, That first month we'd had volunteers come in regularly and I would be in a cell and I'd be so lost and so broken. And I went through the most horrible detox where I actually had to be put onto the hospital wing and be monitored for seven days because they thought I was going to die from the detox that I was going through. Uh, 
these women would come and visit me um, every couple of days and just talk to me. And it wasn't that they would talk to me so much as they would listen to me. And I shared my life and my story with them and how I'd ended up here. And they just shared with me repeatedly that I was loved, that Jesus loved me and that he knew me, he had formed me, he had a plan for me. It wasn't any great theological discussions. It was always, always about love and how much I was loved by him. And within a month, yes, I gave my life to him and it was an amazing time. And I felt for the first time in my life in this dark place on the other side of the world in a prison cell, for the first time in my life I felt loved because I'd always felt neglected and unloved and like and rejected and nobody wanted me because nobody had really paid me the attention that I needed as a young girl and I felt hope and so it was kind of this crazy place to be where I could see all for the first time a life in front of me I felt loved beyond compare for the first time And that was a revelation that immediately kind of lifted me and enabled me to get through the next couple of years in prison. Uh, I did the Alpha course. I started going to church in prison and I wasn't perfect. There were still times when I was naughty and figuring it out. But for the best part, I had had a really powerful encounter with God. So I served out my time. I got out of prison and um, I... Because I had learnt so much in prison about God and Jesus and church, when I got out, I actually was deported straight away from that prison back to here. So the first time I experienced freedom after that couple of years was stepping through the gates at Tullamarine. The problem with that was that... The the good thing about that is that I don't have a record here. That's amazing. (laughs) So I, I now go into the prisons and I can because of that. Um, The bad thing was that I had no support. Nobody knew what I had just gone through. I had no counselling, no kind of parole, which was good and bad. I just had no support. So it was kind of like I'd stepped through this plane into this very surreal experience of me trying to explain to people, this is what I've just gone through. And what I'd learnt about God and Jesus, I had no idea how to apply here. So I started drinking again and I started partying again. But at the same time, it never went back to the level it was before. I also enrolled in school and started studying and and I made a plan for my life that began to unfold. And within a couple of years, I started to get some success as an artist. Um, Turns out that I'm quite good at taking quite complex ideas and and giving them a visual narrative that that works well. The problem was that there was no real deep change in me. Although I knew Jesus and I knew that he loved me, I still wasn't free. And so I spent a number of years working, studying, beginning to have exhibitions, getting some success. I started going overseas. But at the same time, I would drink every night, I would smoke marijuana and I would binge binge on the weekends. And so about five, six years passed and I realised that I was kind of just as unhappy as I was prior to going to prison. And I didn't understand why, if I had this newfound encounter with God, why wasn't I free? Um, And then I got brought to my knees again. Not in that same way, not to that same depth, 
but just to a place where I was like, okay, I'm here again and I have had enough. What is it? What do I need to do? And it was at that point that God gave me a really profound revelation. The thing was that although throughout my life many, many things had happened to me that weren't my fault, I didn't deserve them, they shouldn't have been placed upon me. Yet here I was as an adult kind of becoming a perpetrator of those things in some ways. I had been dealing drugs. I was not really a nice person at all and the only person I cared about was myself. I'd kind of, I had been disempowered by those events in my life and I had become a victim to the circumstances of them. And so here I was. I, I knew Jesus. I had found the love of God. Yet I still operated from a position of poor me, woe is me, All these things have happened to me, so it doesn't matter that I'm not a good person. It doesn't matter that I do all these things, that I operate without integrity. It doesn't matter that I'm not nice, that I lie, that I cheat, because I've been wronged. And for the very first time in my life, I saw myself as a person who required forgiveness. And from that place, I asked God to forgive me for what I had done not operating from what had been done to me. And so I spent the next two years, and I believe this process is called repentance, and it's really important, (laughs) and I hadn't been through it, and that was the key, is that I had, although I had discovered the love of Christ, I hadn't repented for what I had done and for what I had become. So I had this kind of twofold thing in my heart, being sinned against and being a sinner, and I had to work that out. And as an adult... Even though we have been sinned against, it is our personal responsibility as sinners to take care of that. So for the next two years, I cried and cried and cried to God for everything that I'd done because I understood, one, that I had hurt him and, two, that I had hurt so many people along the way. And that was my initial step towards freedom. I just wanted to read you a couple of scriptures just very quickly that I love, that means so much to me. The first one is from the Message Bible, the Message um, Version. People sitting out their lives in the dark saw a huge light. Sitting in that dark, dark country of death, they watched the sun come up. This Isaiah prophesied sermon came to life in Galilee the moment Jesus started preaching. He picked up where John left off. Change your life. God's kingdom is here. That's Matthew 4, 12 to 17. The next is from the Amplified. So they went out and preached that men should repent, that they should change their minds for the better and heartily amend their ways with abhorrence of their past sins. Mark 6, 12. And the final one is, And Peter answered them, Repent, change your views and purpose to accept the will of God in your inner selves instead of rejecting it and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of and release from your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's Acts 2.38. For me, it was so important to have this change of mindset. Even though I understood the love of God, I didn't understand that I had become the perpetrator, that I needed forgiveness, that I needed to be um, set free. And it was from that place that the real path to freedom began because once I realised that I required forgiveness, 
and how much I required forgiveness, I was able to begin forgiving others because I saw everybody in the same light as myself, as people that had been both sinned against and had become sinners. So I began a process of forgiveness. I began by, of course, forgiving my parents, my mum, my dad. And it was difficult because obviously my mum had passed away. So there was no... There's often a call these days for um, people to acknowledge what they've done wrong to you. And I think that's nice if you can get that. But I think it's actually our own personal responsibility to forgive even before that happens. We might not ever get that or we might get that a thousand times from someone and never forgive and never be set free. For me, I had to forgive everybody from my mum to my physical abusers to my ex-partner who had abused me for years to my childhood sexual abusers. And what I discovered was the more that I forgave, the freer I became. And so when I look at my life now and I look back at all the things I've been and done, I, I think I wrote a little list just because it's, it's, it's important to know how free I am and what I've been set free from all through the power of repentance and forgiveness. I've been bankrupt. I was bankrupt at 17 years old, imprisoned for years, addicted to multiple drugs, abused physically, emotionally, sexually for years, beaten regularly. I've been a criminal, a burglar, a fraud. I've had abortions. I've been a drug dealer, thief, promiscuous. There's just so many things that I was that through the power of forgiveness, looking at all of that stuff, I've been forgiven. And then even more than that, there was a whole lot of generational pain that was handed down to me, particularly through the Aboriginal side of my family. There was a lot of um, hatred and anger towards uh, and bitterness and resentment towards what had happened in this country. And that's fair enough in many ways. It's been a great trauma and tragedy in this country. But for me to live out of that place makes me entirely um, in bondage and ineffective as a human being. And when I look at the Aboriginal community and I see how much brokenness and pain there is and I, I look at what the government's doing and just kind of throwing a whole lot of resources and, <clears throat> and different things at the community and nothing changes, in my mind it's because it's like there's this deep wounding within each person and within the community the hard part about that is that Jesus always calls us to a personal responsibility for our own change and our own healing and our own transformation. The first thing he always says is repent, change your ways, go and sin no more. That's us. That's what we have to do. That's where we have to pick up our mantle and go, I'm so hurt by this situation. This person hurt me. That generation hurt me. My parents hurt me. Whatever it was that hurt you is sad and painful and can never be restored to you. But now, as adults, it's our responsibility to take that and forgive even before we get a sorry, even before we get somebody going to us, I'm sorry for doing that to you. And if you do that, you will be set free and you will become powerful and effective and transformed. I look at my life now and I can't believe it. And I have people say, how can you talk about all this stuff? How can you share that? The only reason I can share all of this with you is because I am not bound by it. I'm not burdened. I'm not um, a victim to it or beholden to any of it. 
And if you want a good example of somebody who has forgiven, all you have to do is look at Jesus on the cross. There he was hanging there before everybody, everybody before his accusers, before the people who had beaten him, before the people that had shamed him. He was naked. He was disfigured beyond um, recognition. He had spent um, years being persecuted and then to have people even in his own group betray him. Yet he hung there on that cross in front of everybody. And what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them. He is the ultimate example of forgiveness. And in that moment, he was set free and he set everybody before him free. My husband said to me this morning, I loved it, he's the only superhero who died for the villain. And it's true. (laughs) He likes superheroes. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just such a, um, a powerful message. And if we can get a hold of this, if we really can, we will be set free by this message, by the power that God has given us. It is the one... In fact, I think it is the most effective tool he has given us, the tool of forgiveness. And practically what that means is that sometimes you will have to forgive that same person over and over. I've had things pop in my head for months on end and every time they come into my head, I say, in Jesus' name, I forgive you for this and I set you free and I forgive myself for whatever part I've played in hating that person or that situation. And if I've had to say it five times or I've had to say it 10,000 times, I will just keep saying it until I'm free. I don't need 10 years of counselling for these things. I don't need um, psychotherapy, cognitive behaviour therapy. I just need forgiveness and that simple tool of repeatedly doing it. One day it'll pop in your head and you'll feel nothing about it. It'll just be a thing that you can let go. It has no hold on you anymore. What I'd like to do at the very end now is just give you an opportunity to forgive. What we've um, decided to do is you've Find, you might find some little cards, green cards, on your seat. Now, if there's, what I would like to ask you to do is just to look into your hearts. If there is anybody that you want to forgive, write their names on this card. And then I'm going to pray for you. And then you're going to have the opportunity to come up as the music plays and place these cards in a bin, in this bin, as a symbolic gesture of acknowledging that you have this in your heart. And, and that you want it to be set free. And remember that as much as you forgive, you are forgiven. So this is not something to mess with. This is really powerful and important. Um, and then, if you'd like, you can come and sit in these couple of front rows, in this front row here, if you would like personal prayer by one of the leaders here or myself. So I'll just quickly pray for you um, as you think about who you'd like to forgive. And then please take the time to write it down. All right. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to share my story with this community here. And I don't know what's in their hearts, Lord God, but you do. You know exactly what is in every single heart here right now. I know the power of freedom that you've given me and I pray that anybody here that has somebody in their heart that they're holding on to, that they're bitter and resentful towards, Lord God, that you would bring it to their minds right now. Give them the strength and the courage to write it on this card and that you would acknowledge that, Lord, that you would honour that, that you would uproot that bitterness and forgiveness in their hearts and you would replace replace it by peace and love and wholeness. Father God, we just honour you, we thank you, we worship you. Jesus, we love you, we honour you and we crown you King of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Thank you, everybody.